Amen. Lord, we want to thank you before we even begin today for your word. Your word is precious. Your word is true. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes today to your word. As we look at this particular subject that we have before us, speak to our hearts. Help us to see. Help us to understand. Fill our hearts with hope and assurance that you are a God of power and might. And you're going to help us. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapters 3 and 4, where we're going to read in a few moments. It'll take us a little while to get there, but we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapters 3 and 4. But before we go into the gospel, according to Luke, I would like this morning to lay a foundation and share some background uh, with us about a very real, a very real and in no way imaginary enemy of us all. I want to talk about a very real in no way imaginary enemy of us all. Now, I think if we had an enemy, we'd probably need to know about it. Amen? We need to know if somebody had it in for us, if somebody had designs to do us harm, if somebody was out to get us, if somebody actually wanted to take your life, I think we'd all want to know that and be aware of that. Well, we're going to read what the Bible has to say about that subject. And my approach will be this morning to survey scripture. That is to kind of cover a whole lot in a short amount of time about what the Bible says about this particular subject. In the Bible, specifically the book of Acts, there was a man named Saul who persecuted the church. He was dead set against Jesus and the church. Wanted nothing to do with Christians and followers of Christ. In fact, he set out to do everything within his own power to destroy the church, which included persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, beating Christians. And even as we can read in the scripture, he was there when... The first martyr of the church was stoned to death. Paul was there giving his approval. Well, one day Jesus got Paul's attention. Amen. Knocked him to the ground, humbled him, spoke to his heart. Jesus revealed himself to Paul and said, Paul, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to be a minister and a witness. And I'm quoting there directly from scripture. Many years after Paul had been converted, he stood before the king, King Agrippa, and he gave this testimony. And we're going to read portions of it. He said, Paul, I'm calling you to the Gentiles. And you're going to be a minister and a witness Of things that you've seen and heard and things that you will see and hear. 
And as Paul is giving his testimony to the king about his own conversion years prior, here's what he said. It's on the screen. Now, these words are in red for a reason. When you are reading your Bible, the words are in red for what reason? It indicates that these were the words of our Lord. If you turned in the Bible to this particular passage to read it, you would find, yes, even in the book of Acts, these words are in red. This is Paul's testimony about what Jesus said to him when he was converted. Paul, I'm calling you to be a minister and a witness and to go to the Gentiles to do this thing in verse 18. To open their eyes. I want you, Paul, to go preach to them, the Gentiles, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I want you to notice that Paul said, I was called to share this message to the Gentiles in order to turn them from darkness to light and in order to bring them from the power of Satan to God. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And so as we look at that today, I think you would agree with me. Now, we're not reaching back into the Old Testament. We're not looking into the prophets. We're not looking at symbolism. None of that. This is just very straightforward. Paul's giving his testimony. He says, Jesus appeared to me. Jesus spoke to me. Jesus said these words that he wanted me to preach this message. I'm a witness. I'm a minister to the Gentiles, to give them the gospel, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. I want to declare to you this morning that Satan is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. And so I'm going to prove that to you this morning from scripture to illustrate that he's not the boogeyman. He's not this, this being that, that, that people uh, joke about sometimes and say, well, the devil made me do it. Good grief. Flip Wilson got rich doing that. The devil made me do it. However, he, he's not to joke about Satan is real. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, our next scripture, the Bible says, and and now I'm reaching into the last book of the Bible for a reason. And as as John, the apostle, gives this vision that he's seeing, chapter 12 is going to talk quite a bit about Satan and the devil. And in verse 3 it says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, I'm not going to go into this as my my intent today uh, of reading this is not to go into the intricacies of what everything means. I just want you to see that here in the book of Revelation, we're talking about Satan. He's first described in verse 3 as a great fiery red 
dragon. Now, as we go to the next verse, the scripture says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Now, the woman who was ready to give birth, some will say, uh, represents Israel as a nation. Uh, concerning from which the Messiah would come. He was born. Jesus came from the Jewish nation. And others would go even farther and talk about Mary is the one who was ready to give birth. And she was a Jew. So both could very well be correct. And I think that's the picture we have here. That the devil, Satan, is standing there where this woman is ready to give birth. To devour, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now somebody tell me the name of Mary's child. Jesus. Now, did not the Bible say that King, uh, Herod got really uptight about the birth of this baby that he'd heard about and he caused there to be this scheme, this terrible thing we read about in the Bible, where all the babies, the male babies in Bethlehem, two years of age and under, were murdered in Bethlehem. We've read that, right? Well, that's what we see being talked about here in this prophetic language. The dragon stood there. This woman was ready to give birth. He, this dragon was going to devour her child as soon as it was born. The next verse, please. She bore a male child. Somebody tell me what his name was. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. So in this vision that John is seeing, she bore this male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. Now, later in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that verse is descriptive of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us he's going to come and rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then the Bible says, and her child was called up to God and his throne, descriptive of, of course, the ascension that describes when Jesus was ascended to heaven. So we see this, this activity of Satan there at the birth of Jesus in the killing of the babies and through the rest of his life and ministry, Satan was there to try to hinder and to thwart the purposes and the will of God. Now, let's look at the next scripture, please. Verse 9. So the great dragon, which we've already read about, was cast out. The great dragon was cast out of heaven, the Bible says. That serpent of old. Now, we read about the serpent of old in what book of the Bible? Genesis. In the first book, we read about the serpent. In the last book, we're reading about the red dragon. But they're one and the same, this verse says. The great dragon, that serpent of old, called who? The devil. And who? Satan. We need to understand that the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation and many places in between that there is an enemy that's out to get us, an enemy that is out to thwart the purposes of God. He's called the dragon, he's called the serpent, he's called the devil, and he's called Satan. He's all speaking about the same person, but I want you to know he is real. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not a fictitious character. He's just as real as God is. I hope that doesn't offend you, but God is real. Well, the devil's real too. 
He's, he's not a figment of our imagination. It, he's not a myth. He's not something that's been made up. He's not the boogeyman as we portray him to be. He is someone who is out to get anybody who serves God. Now, let me share with you some other things the Bible says about this person we call Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren in scripture. The accuser of the brethren. How many of you who are in here, and I don't want details and I'm not going to ask for you, but how many of you have ever been accused of something? Anybody? Yeah, that's the devil's job. Now, I don't know too many times that I've been accused that I was happy about it. Because most of the time when you get accused, it's probably for something you didn't do. And you get accused of doing these things, it's never really... um, uh, very seldom ever a pleasant thing. You don't associate being accused with a pleasant event. And the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. I submit to you today that when people start talking about you and when people start opposing you and fighting against you, I would submit to you that the devil's behind it. He's the accuser of the brethren. You, you, it may be somebody who claims to be a Christian who's doing it. But I'll tell you, the, the devil can cause people to do some strange things. Amen. But he's the one that's behind it. He's the spirit, the power that's behind that. The Bible also says he's the father of lies. I don't know if you've ever been lied on or not. But I'll tell you one, one thing, it came from the devil. Because the Bible says he's the father of lies. The Bible also says he transforms himself into an angel of light. He doesn't walk around with a red suit, a pitchfork, and a fork of tail, and horns. Sometimes the devil's going to come to you dressed in a suit and tie and carrying a Bible. Amen. He makes himself to look righteous. He makes himself, as a matter of fact, he'll even quote scripture. We're going to see that in our text today. He knows the Bible. He'll talk about things that sound spiritual, but that doesn't make him righteous. He transforms himself into an angel of light, looking like his way is the right way. He's called the prince of darkness in the scripture. He's called the deceiver. He's called a murderer. The Bible says about him and those who who operate on the way that he operates, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'll submit to you that neither one of those things are good things. Stealing, killing, killing, and destroying. You don't want anybody coming into your house and stealing or killing or destroying your personal property. You don't want that, but that's what the devil does. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. What does devour mean? Eat. He's like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. He wants to destroy. He wants to do away with you. The Bible says he's crafty. The Bible says he is subtle. The Bible says that we need to be aware of the wiles of the devil. That is the strategy and the game plan of the devil. The Bible even tells us he'll go to church. In Smyrna, Revelation, you know, seven churches of Asia, to the people of Smyrna, Jesus said, it's the synagogue of Satan. What? That's not a good thing, is it? And then he said, it's where Satan lives. 
and Pergamum, he said, is where Satan has his throne. Two different cities, the church is there. He speaks to in that kind of language. And of course, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, the serpent appeared to Eve and deceived her, lied to her, misrepresented what God had said to her, twisted God's word to her. And of course, we all know the results of that, which we are still living with today. So now, let's turn over to Luke chapter 4. Well, actually chapter 3. Before we actually read there, let me share with you that in the Gospel of Luke, specifically in chapter 4, I'll deal with chapter 4 for just a moment. In chapter 4 of Luke, verses 1 through 14, the devil is mentioned no less than 15 times. Counting pronouns like him, me, he, he's mentioned 15 times. In Luke chapter 4, verses 33 and 35, there's another word there that I feel like I've got to bring in just to be um, open today. And that's the word demon. In Luke chapter 4, verse 33 and verse 35, you'll read the word demon. Now, demon and devil are not exactly the same thing. How many, how many devils are there? One. One devil. Can everybody say there's one devil? devil. There's one devil. How many demons are there? Who knows? Lots and lots of them. Many, many. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 8, you don't need to turn there. Remember the story of Legion? Who had all these demons? And they spoke and he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. The word Legion means a thousand. So he was full. Demons are many. Devil, there's only really one. Now, I have to explain this because I know some of you are reading from the King James Version And the King James Version in Luke chapter 4 verses 33 and 35, it uses the word devil instead of demon. But now there's a reason for that. There are many words in the King James Version that have been adjusted in modern versions because meanings of words change. Amen? For instance, if you read in the New Testament about the requirements of the church for helping a widow. There's a widow and she is um, needing some help from the church. And Paul gives some instructions there about how this woman or if this woman is supposed to be helped. And Paul says, if this widow has children or nephews, then let the children and nephews help her. Well, the word nephews to most of us would mean the children, brother or the children, son or daughter of my sister or brother. Correct? Right? Nephew means the children of my sibling. They would be my nephew, a male child. 
Well, back in 1611, when the King James Version was actually written and translated, the word nephew meant something quite different. Nephew is equal to grandchild. Then, now nephew means something different. So what he was saying was, if a widow who has no husband now has children or grandchildren, let the children and the grandchildren assist in taking care of her. But if she's destitute and has no children or grandchildren, then let the church step in and help give her some help and some sustenance, whatever, and assistance, what she needs. The word demon is, or the word devil, both of those words have changed somewhat since 1611. And I just want to clarify that all of the modern translations such as the New King James, the NIV, the um, English Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, they all use the word demons instead of the word devils. But it's, they recognize that it's, it's not that the King James Version was wrong. It's not that they made a mistake. The English there is outdated in those particular situations. And that's why the modern translations have changed it. So just to be clear, in truth, there is only one devil. But there are many, many demons. Now, enough about Satan for the time being. In Luke chapter 3, and this is our text, with having said what we've said thus far to get to this point. The Bible says in uh, Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I love that passage of scripture. I love it for several reasons. But one of the things that that strikes me about this, one of the things is you see the Trinity in in that passage of scripture. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All represented in that one passage. Another thing I notice is, however, is that we haven't had much information about Jesus in the Bible from the time he was born. We read about that in Mark and Luke in the early chapters. We read a little bit about him when he was 12 years old, but we don't read anything else about Jesus until now. Until he's a grown man. Now, I'd like for you to think with me about Jesus for just a few moments. The Bible tells us that he came, laid aside his divine attributes, and took on the form of a servant. Took on the form of flesh. In other words, what that's saying is he lived just like us. Mary had to change his diaper. You know why? Because he's a real baby. He probably had a runny nose. (laughs) He might have even pitched a hissy fit when he was one. He was human. Let's, Let's just understand that. He was human. As a matter of fact, the gospel of Luke focuses on the fact that Jesus is called the son 
of man. Next week, we're going to be going to the gospel of John. You know what John focuses on? Son of God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. But Luke focuses on the fact that he is the son of man. As a matter of fact, in the gospel of, in the gospels altogether, Jesus is called the son of God 30 times. Jesus is called the son of man 84 times. Many more times Jesus is referred to as son of man. Luke presents to us Jesus as a man because of who he was writing to and what he wanted to stress about this beautiful savior that has come to take away the sins of the world. He talks to us about the son of man. Now, as we, as we read this passage, we see the son of man, just like you, just like me, just a man. In the flesh, that's who he was. He was a human, just like you. He had aches and pains. He hurt. He might have been stung by a bee. (laughs) He might have stepped on a nail. He probably did all the things that most of us have done in our growing up years. We, We can't separate Jesus from humanity because that's who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He came to live just like we live. To take on form of flesh to be like us that's the whole point to show us the way to be the example for us so jesus comes and like all the others were encouraged to do then he himself was baptized when he was baptized and came up out of the water the bible says there was a voice from heaven that spoke this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased And also there was a visible sign where a dove in bodily form lit on Jesus. And the Bible says that there the spirit descended in bodily form like a dove on him. Now I want you to notice when we get to chapter 4. The only thing we're skipping there is verses 23 to 38. uh, You know, that favorite passage of scripture for many of you. You know, the begots, we're going to skip that section, that genealogy section. And now we're going to start at chapter 4. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about this man, Jesus. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan... And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Boy, we could talk a good while about that. Here's Jesus. The Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Getting ready to go through hard times. That really is going to mess some of this prosperity stuff It's going to mess up their theology. The Bible says being tempted for 40 days. By who? The devil. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. 
That's a long time. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted 40 days or not, but I'll tell you right now, I haven't. I can't imagine 40 days without food. I could imagine I could be quite grumpy and weak, hard to get along with. But the Bible says Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, don't think hiking and tent by a cool stream with the deer walking by. Don't don't think wilderness that way. Think sand and rocks and heat. Wilderness. He was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, I don't know what went on all those 40 days. But I've got to believe a whole lot went on that we we don't know the details to. I'll show you why I believe that here in a few moments. But the Bible says the devil said to Jesus... If you are the son of God, command this stone to be bread, to become bread. If you are the son of God, do you see where the devil is challenging Jesus? If you're really the son of God, show me something here. Now, I know you're hungry and there's a rock. Turn that rock into bread. I want to see something. If you are the son of God, show me something. If you are, if you really are the son of God, show me something. The devil will come to you and say something like this to you. If you really are a Christian, right? If you're really a Christian, then why did you do that? If you're really a Christian, then why don't you do this? If you're really a Christian and try to place doubt, you, you're going to try to tell me that the devil doesn't put, try to put a doubt in your mind about your relationship with God? Same thing. If you really are the son of God, he said to Jesus, to you, he'll say, if you, if you really are a Christian. Then why did you do this and why did you do that? Trying to raise doubt. Trying to create confusion in your mind about this. And then he goes in the next section. Well, first of all, notice this, that in verse 4, Jesus answered him saying, what? It is written. It is written. I'm going to tell you right now that the way you can come through the difficulties and the challenges in your life is to know what the Bible says. That's why when you come to church on Sunday morning or when you come to Bible study on Wednesday night or when you read your Bible at home, it is never, ever wasted time. Because you need to know what the Bible says. You need to be able to say it is written. Who cares what Pastor Ron said? I don't even care what Pastor Ron said. It's not important what Pastor Ron said. It's important what is written. And so when Jesus was challenged, he didn't go by his feelings because his feelings told him he was what? He was hungry. 
He hadn't had anything to eat. He could have turned a stone into bread. He could have done that. But you don't go by your feelings. You go by what the word of God says. So he responded by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. But you can't live by the word of God if you don't know the word of God. And that's why Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, personal time and Bible study, those are such important times because, listen, when you stand before the Lord one day, you're going to be held accountable to the same standard I am concerning the Word of God. It's the same Word for each of us. You have a responsibility to know the Word of God. That's why David said, Thy Word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you, Lord. And then the Bible says in verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Everything. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this will be yours. You don't think the devil's still saying that to people nowadays? If you'll just take that shiny little needle, and put it into your arm, and push the syringe... You're gonna, you're gonna be so happy you did. You're gonna be so glad. If you'll, do you know the Bible says that Moses made the decision one day to, to reject sin and he made a commitment to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the what? Pleasures of sin. For a season. Is there pleasure in sin? Sure. Yeah, there's some pleasure in sin. There's, there's, that's not even debatable. Any honest person knows there's pleasure in sin. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we going to do what God says do? Or we're we going to do what the flesh wants and what the devil tells us is Okay. Again, Jesus answered with the word and he said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Wow. I'll tell you, you have learned this is no great revelation. You know, you can't do what the flesh wants you to do and be right with God, can you? Flesh will get you in trouble every time. If it's something as simple as somebody speaks an unkind word to you and you just want to draw back and let them have it, you can't do it. We have to listen to what the Bible says. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. You shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple. I read this week that was 450 feet tall. That's way up there. And the devil said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
for it is written. Now, this is the devil talking. This is the devil quoting scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. The devil's quoting Psalm 91. Yeah, he'll quote scripture. Verse 12 says, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the Bible says in verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, that's why I think there's a whole lot more in this package that we're not reading. We've read about three here basically, but I think it goes a whole lot farther than that. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Until when? Until an opportune time. Do you know what that means? He wasn't finished. He wasn't quitting. He'll be back. Can I tell you uh, the truth about the matter? The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And I believe that scripture with all my heart. Amen? It, I do. Submit yourself to God, first of all. Do everything you know to do. Be filled with the Spirit. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But it didn't, didn't say he was going to flee forever. He'll be back. I think that's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Even though I have I have to fight through this today, and I get victory over it today, and the devil flees, he's probably going to be back tomorrow, next week. Trying a different approach. Trying something different to bring me down, mess me up, trip me up. So the Bible says the devil... After he had ended every temptation, whatever that meant, entailed over the last 40 days, I imagined myself it to be a grueling, intense, difficult time that he had that whole 40 days. Now, here's here's the part I like. The Bible says in verse 14, after the devil left and departed until an opportune time, now, there, let me give you an example of an opportune time. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? He's just been baptized. He just starts his ministry. The devil's departing for an opportune time or until an opportune time. I'll submit to you that when Jesus is staring the cross in the face just a couple hours away and he goes to the garden to pray, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I believe the devil was there probably whispering in his ear. Trying to get him to do something contrary to what the will of God was. He'll always come to us in our weak moments. We need to understand that. When you're tired, when you're sick, when you're broke. (laughs) In those times, that's when he comes. When things aren't going well. It's true in your home, it's true in a church, it's true anywhere else. When when things aren't going well, the devil is fighting, he's hardest, he's trying to wreck things. But you know what? If you can just be true, stand up. He'll he'll leave. He'll be back, but he'll leave. But here's the point. I want to tell you this about Jesus. If you don't remember anything else, this is what I want you to take home with you. 
Verse 14 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now remember, he was baptized in chapter 3. The Spirit of God descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. In chapter 4, verse 1, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's led by the Holy Spirit. And then he's been through this 40 days of grueling, terrible temptation. Indescribable, I would say. But he comes out on the other side victorious. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Then he went to church. Do you know it's a good idea to go to church? Just as soon as that had happened, the Bible says he goes to Nazareth and he goes to church. In verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. And here's where Jesus actually begins his ministry. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he handed it to the attendant that was there. And then he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he began to do what he'd been called to do. If Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, if Jesus came to this earth and fulfilled the will of the Father and had to deal with the devil and his temptations, you ought to know that we're going to have to deal with the same. But if Jesus, the Son of Man, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, And interested in doing the will of the Heavenly Father could do it. Then you can do it and I can do it. The devil does not have more power than the Spirit of God. That's why it is written in the word of the Lord. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Greater is the Holy Spirit that's in you than he that is in the world. And it's the same Spirit, my friends, that anointed Jesus that anoints us today. And if we will get our eyes on Jesus, can I say if we get our eyes on Jesus and off of each other? Would that be good advice? You ever get aggravated at people? I'm going to tell you this, the more you look look at people, the more aggravated you're going to get. So why don't we just wise up and quit looking at people and start looking to Jesus? Be a lot happier. Have a whole lot more victory. You wouldn't be listening to the accuser of the brethren. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be affected and your attitude wouldn't be so bad about other people if you just quit watching people and start watching Jesus. Amen. The Spirit of God in us is the same as the spirit of God in Jesus. And if Jesus could come through his temptation, you can come through yours. Depending on the power of the Holy Spirit.
Now you think, well, I don't see any big deal about that. That's an awful big deal. One day when he comes to you and tempts you and tries to drag you down, deny your faith in all kinds of ways, he's going to try to, to, to wreck you and trip you up. If you'll understand that greater is the spirit of God in you, if you're filled with his spirit, if you know his word, if you can say it is written. Listen, don't, don't ever, don't ever go before the Lord in prayer and say, Pastor Ron said. No, say it is written. You need to know what's written and then you can stand on what is written. But we need to know what it is. Would you stand with me? Lord, we're so thankful today for your word and so thankful for your spirit. And we acknowledge the truth of the word of God that there is an enemy who seeks to destroy our souls. There is an enemy who seeks to divide. There is an enemy who doesn't want anything good to happen in families in this church. There is an enemy who wants marriages falling apart. There is an enemy who wants children to be rebellious. There is an enemy who wants us all to be sick. There is an enemy, Lord, who just wants to destroy us, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But in you, In you, we can be overcomers. In you, we can be victorious. You give us the grace and the strength and the power that comes from you to be able to withstand all the attacks, the wiles of the devil, the schemings that he would bring against us. I want to thank you today that we are more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us And that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, there's not one single person under the sound of my voice that does not have the opportunity to surrender their lives to you, be filled with the Spirit, and know and learn the Word of God. It's not reserved for just preachers. It's not reserved for just a few. It's for all of us. So help us, Lord, to take our Bibles and to get into them, to read them, to understand them, to study them. Help us to have the mind of Christ, to think like you do. Lord, we don't want to be, we don't want to be children, infants, when it comes to our spiritual walk. Lord, we want to be strong, mature witnesses, warriors, servants for you. So help us to be what you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray.